So today's talk is entitled, Life Outside Eden. It is vital to understand what God's response is to our disobedience. When we ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God did not initially punish or scream or yell or even cry. God went looking for us. Let us hear. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking about in the garden in the evening breeze. And the human and his woman hid from the Lord God in the midst of the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the human and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your sound in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked, and I hid. A reading from the book of Genesis. Sin does not mean that we are bad. It means that we are lost. Let me say that again. The concept of original sin does not mean that we are bad. It means that we are lost. God wanders the garden calling out, Where are you? And Adam and Eve hid from God. We are lost because our sin causes us to run away from God, to hide from God. When a person has done wrong and they feel shame and regret, it is helpful to remind them that God sees them as lost and not as bad. They have forgotten the way forgotten who they are and what they are designed for. The drug addict is lost in a sea of addiction. The young man who murders in a gang war is lost because of the neglect and abuse he suffered as a child. We are lost and God calls out to us, where are you? The more lost we become, the more darkness fills our lives. Another result of sin is fear. Adam and Eve were never afraid before they took that fruit. There was no mention of fear at all in the scripture until this moment. Once they have eaten, they experience fear and shame which is its cousin. The first thing that they do after eating the fruit is to run away from God. We always tend to think of the fall as God pushing us out of Eden, but it was humanity that ran first. We ran and we hid. We initiated the separation. We were afraid and we were ashamed. It is our fear and our shame that estranges us from the one who radically loves us and searches for us. 
in many ways, we left God. The ejection from Eden was the natural consequence of our trying to escape in the first place. Even as this monumental scene takes place, the author of Genesis is describing the garden in such intricate detail. God is so anthropomorphic, walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. God is going for a walk, enjoying the beauty of the natural world. What a concept. Let me just pause there and remind you that if God walked in a garden in the evening breeze, then the act of walking outdoors is a holy act, just like the act of tilling the soil and gardening. God did these things first. God put hands in the dirt and made Adam. Thus, we are acting in God's image when we put our hands in the dirt and when we go for a walk in a garden. When God calls out, Adam does answer. There is still some relationship, some communication. Adam explains that they heard God's sound. I long to hear that sound. What would it sound like for God to walk in a garden? Music? Quiet steps? breath. Those who love God run to that sound. They walk to church. They try to find God, but Adam and Eve ran away from the sound and from the presence of the holy. And when God asks Adam what has happened, God asks, who told you that you were naked? From the tree I commanded you not to eat. Have you eaten? God knows that this kind of shame and fear could only be produced from disobedience. And its antidote, according to the Jewish Torah, will be its opposite, obedience. In order to lead happy and fulfilled lives, we will need boundaries. We will need the word no to be told to us so that we cannot have everything we want. We must learn to discipline ourselves to find balance in life and contentment. And in all these thousands of years, we have not yet been able to do so. So Christ came to show us another way, not one of discipline, but one of love. Adam answers God's question with blame. He blames Eve for giving him the fruit. But he also even blames God for giving him Eve. Eve, when questioned, blames the snake. No one seems to take responsibility for his or her behavior. There is no confession of wrongdoing at all, just blame. And so there is no opening for reconciliation or forgiveness. 
As a result of this blame and shame, God responds with expulsion from paradise and its consequences. God curses the snake first, then Eve, and then the man. The snake is required to slither on the ground. The woman is to have pains in childbirth and to be obedient to the man. And Adam's relationship with the soil is no longer one of harmony, but one of strain and effort. St. Augustine, along with many great theologians, blamed the woman for the fall and considered her body an instrument of temptation. It was lust that brought about Adam's demise, he thought. And so women were oppressed and told that they were less than men for thousands of years. The theory that there is someone to blame for the fall other than our very selves is a flawed theory, and it leads to injustice and even violence. Our relationship with our creator is no one's fault but our own. But just as bad as the blaming of the woman, maybe worse was the predicament of the snake who was and is still an animal. The snake is cursed first, and the relationship of mutual love and harmony between the animals and the humans in the garden becomes distorted. God says, cursed be you of all cattle and all the beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Enmity will I set between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He will bite your head, and you will boot him with the heel. It reminds me of my Aunt Sherry, who hates snakes. She's terrified of them. She has an estranged relationship with them. Here is the first moment in which a split occurs between humanity and the rest of the animal kingdom. Scholars hearken back to the Canaanite myth of a primordial sea serpent. Were the Hebrews rejecting another kind of pagan god or threat? There will be discord now. The relationship is twisted. The woman is given pain in childbirth as a curse, and the man is now cursed to toil the earth reads, Cursed be the soil for your sake. With pangs shall you eat from it all the days of your life. The earth will provide food, but only if the man works at it and tills it. It will not give of its fruit easily as it did in the garden, or willingly. We are still wed to the earth, but the relationship seems to become one of work, endless work. And when we die, our bodies return to that same earth. And now God has to protect us from Eden, and God has to protect Eden from us. 
It seems that humanity is no longer capable of existing in Eden and must be cast out. We simply don't belong there anymore. It no longer exists for us. From the moment we hid from God, Eden was no longer paradise for us. A firm boundary is placed between the humans and paradise. We can no longer enter. It is closed to us, at least by that route. A cherubim, one of the highest forms of angels, is placed at the entrance to the garden. In its hand is a blazing sword the cherubim is a plural angel made up of light and fire and constantly in motion. It blazes, driving us away with its brightness. It is a terrifying angel, one which would look foreign to us with its many wings and eyes. This is a creature that we cannot pass. And from this point on, Angels will both guard heaven and serve as a bridge between the two worlds. They will stand on the edges, the boundaries between human existence and the kingdom of God. They will serve as translators, interpreters, bridge builders to reach the fallen human mind. Angels were not needed in Eden, but they are needed ever after. And they will appear when heaven touches earth once more. And so it is that human beings have darkness inside of ourselves as well as light. And when a person is born who is mostly light, like Jesus or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, we kill them because their light is too bright for us, too clear, too true. We cannot tolerate paradise, but neither do we feel at home here. We are truly homeless, in a sense, not at home on this broken earth, but also not able to function or tolerate pure love and its consequences. We have fallen into a state of bondage. We have become slaves to our own nature, and we are unable to make ourselves well. The boundary between us and paradise will never again be crossed, not in that way. And the final consequence of the fall is the most devastating of all. We are destined now to die. We do not have eternal life anymore since we took of that fruit. The snake lied when he said we wouldn't die. We do die. All humans die. And there is nothing that we can do to stop our death. Only God could help us with that one. At your tables, I want you to talk about this question. 
how is your life a fallen life? How is there both great joy but also great pain? Describe your own fallen nature. 